0: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the
1: latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Lindsey Graham's in studio. If you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see him. And then we're going to talk to also Olivia Rangel. She's a staff writer for the Free Press. Uh, she is all over this Israeli, uh, at war story and also what's going on in Gaza. We're going to discuss that. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, we've got to tell you, the president's going to be talking about Bidenomics, despite everybody telling him to stop bringing it up. He's going to be doing it because I guess he's getting 14 billion dollars for trains. That should be good. And the former president of the United States is heading to court today to defend his business practices. Uh, let's start with Lindsey Graham. Senator, great to see you. Thank you, Brian. So you talked to the president. Trump recently. <clears throat> yeah, I talked to him last. Is night. he upset about this? Well, Trump? yeah, he feels more you know, than most.
2: It just uh, he believes it's political. <clears throat> Bottom line is no it bank. Is, so well, well, yeah, but no bank got defrauded. I mean, the banks are not in court saying, you know, hold Trump accountable. I lost money. They're not saying that. There's no victim here. And if you think Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, uh, you shouldn't be allowed to drive.
1: They doubled down on it. Uh, they double down on it again. And they said that, well, they, it's uh, whatever reason. It doesn't really matter. This is one thing that's pretty clear. That if they want to target you, they can target you. Oh, totally. I, I mean, mean, in civil court, they're trying to take him down and make <laughs> him – and take his properties and put it in receivership.
2: I have been on most of his properties that I know of, and they're all first class. I mean, the bottom line is this is an effort by a Democratic attorney general to make a name for herself. She promised to get Trump before she got elected, and she's trying – and this is not hurting Trump. Where I live, in South Carolina – uh, you know, being attacked by the Attorney General of New York doesn't hurt you one bit in South Carolina. <clears throat> president Trump will win the primary in, in my state.
1: So uh, let me give you an idea. Let's see what happens in Iowa. Do you think it matters that uh, Cov- uh, Governor uh, Reynolds will be endorsing Governor well, DeSantis? Well, I, I
2: think it's a good gift for DeSantis. I'm not running against anybody. I'm just for Trump. Why am I for Trump? I believe if Donald Trump were president of the United States, none of this would be happening. None. There would be no attack by Hamas against Israel. I believe if he got elected tomorrow, most of this would end pretty quickly because people are afraid of him. So, yeah, I think it will probably help DeSantis. But the Trump voter is locked in. I can tell you right now, Trump is over 50 percent in my state. You have Iowa. You have New Hampshire, you have South Carolina, Nevada. By February the twenty fourth, I think it is. I think this primary will be over by the by the end of February. So
1: this uh, times this times poll, Sienna poll. Uh, Sienna is a small college in upstate Albany, yeah. and it usually tilts left. Uh, that's what this is so jarring to so many Democrats because <clears throat> right now Trump beats Biden head to head nationally, fifty one forty seven. He's ahead in every battleground state on almost every issue. In Pennsylvania. Uh, Trump over Biden, fifty-nine thirty-seven In Wisconsin, 52-40. Uh, uh, no, excuse me, that's on the economy. But overall, uh, in his rankings, get this, when it comes to just head-to-head. In Nevada, Trump up. In Georgia, Trump up by six. In Arizona, Trump up by Five in Michigan, Trump up by five. Pennsylvania, Trump up by four. Wisconsin, trails by two. These are, better, these are better polls than he had against Hillary Clinton.
2: Well, I think the American people have had enough with Joe Biden. He's a nice man, but he doesn't know what he's doing on multiple fronts. Uh, gas is high. Groceries are high. Uh, the border is completely broken. Uh, nobody respects us in the world. The world's on fire on multiple fronts. So I think people feel the country's going in the wrong direction. Why would you vote for the same guy if you think that it's going in the wrong direction? This is Trump's election to lose.
1: Uh, right now, things going badly in America. In January, sixty-five percent. Now, seventy-three percent. You've
2: never. This is the highest in your life. Well, lifetime. who are the twenty-seven percent that like what's going on? <laughs> you know, because you know who are they?
1: You know. You know what's crazy is that. Do you know the the, the environmentalists, the green? Yeah. They don't think that Joe Biden's gone far enough.
2: <clears throat> so what's happening is Joe Biden's presidency has been a disaster for the average person in America. Grocers are high. Gas is high. The streets are not safe. The world is on fire. Nobody feels safe. We're living on borrowed time with a broken border. There will be an effort by the Republicans to put a border security plan on the table starting this week as part of a package to help Ukraine and help Israel. If we do not secure our border quickly and stop the the flow, the, the invasion, for lack of a better word, right. uh, we're going to get hit here.
1: But the one thing – and I want to talk about the world, but I do want to – end just so people understand, whether you like Trump or not, I don't think it's right that all the media will conspire to try to take him down. Yeah. They will not say Joe Biden should be reelected. They say that Donald Trump is unelectable. Right. Case in point, last night on 60 Minutes, they led with John Eastman, January 6th again. And then George <laughs> Stephanopoulos yesterday asking Steve Scalise over and over again, who won the 2020 election? <laughs> Listen yeah. to Jonathan Carl yesterday. Cut 18.
3: One thing to consider here is, uh, you know, Trump has been in the news over the last year or so based on the uh, on these criminal cases, uh, the civil case in New York. But people have not been paying attention to what Trump has become. Trump. Since he left the White House, and this is really the theme of my book, uh, has become more detached from reality than he ever was even in the White House. If you think of where we were in January of 2021, uh, that's the starting point for where a Trump presidency would be next time around. So I think he's had largely, believe it or not, a, a free ride. Again, the criminal cases we know about. but what- A free ride.
1: He had a speech the other day in Texas where he referred to the people that are in prison because they attacked the U.S. Capitol As hostages, and he goes on to say that he lost to Obama last time. No, he keeps saying that he thinks Obama's running the White House. That's right.
2: So your thought, they're already saying that he's detached from reality. Well, so these are journalists who are writing books telling you that Trump is unhinged. Yeah. That's not journalism. That's advocacy. You can be an advocate if you would like, but do not you can't be both. You can't be writing a book saying that Donald Trump is delusional and at the same time cover the 2024 election fairly. This is an effort by the media throughout the country to take Trump down, to make him unelectable because they're afraid of a second Trump. What are they afraid of? I think they're afraid that he will come back in office and he will uh, undo all the crazy stuff that Biden has done. I think the biggest fear for a liberal is that Trump is conservative. Not that he's unhinged, that he literally is conservative and they want liberal policies.
1: Remember, they tried to take around Mitt Romney and say he was a rich white guy. John McCain, he
2: was, you know, he was crazy, right? Right. John McCain, the, the bottom line here, folks, is that the media in this country, except for where I'm at right now, is pretty much in the hands of the Democratic Party. They're all Democrats. They want the Democratic agenda. And that's what and there's a backlash. It's not working. You know what's driving them crazy? That Trump's leading. They're doing everything they can to beat Trump. But but they can't make Biden presidency acceptable. So what do they do? If you can't sell Biden, you have to destroy Trump. That's what's going on.
1: So Israel's at war. CIA Director Burns visited Israel. We know Secretary of Defense is on two or three times a day, it seems, with with his counterpart over in Israel. They dropped a 2,000-pound bomb, I think, on (coughs) Saturday. They are starting to show out video of the tunnels underneath hospitals, but they're not letting up. Right. Uh, but yet it seems as though the world pressure is to let up. You saw 100,000 people in Washington, D.C. Bring us inside the the school of thought with the Israelis.
2: Well, so here's what's happening. Um, Within four weeks, it's just been barely over a month that the largest killing of Jewish people since the Holocaust, simply because they're Jewish, occurred.
1: And you saw the video, right? I I saw
2: not only the video. I saw more than the video. There are things that have not been released. That will—they outdid the Nazis. That's all I can say. I spent time with the Israeli Defense Minister. They showed us stuff that you haven't seen, and you probably don't need to see it. The bottom line is, within four weeks, the world has turned on Israel. Anti-Semitism is rampant throughout the world. Back here at home, when somebody says "Free Palestine from the river to the sea," they're advocating for the destruction of the Jewish people, Israel, as as a sovereign nation. That means that you're an anti-Semitic Nazi. So when a member of Congress repeats the slogan from the river to the sea, she is saying, I want Israel destroyed because that would be the result of that policy. That to me is anti-Semitism. That's 2023 version of the Nazis. And I can't believe we're living where – just end with this thought: There were people killed by Hamas that survived the Holocaust. As young people, they survived being killed by the Germans because they were Jewish, only to be killed by radical Islamic terrorists in Israel uh, at the end of their lives, toward the end of their lives. How could the world let that happen? How could we go from 80 years ago, the Warsaw Uprising, ghetto uprising, to where Jews are killed in the state of Israel simply for being Jewish within an 80-year uh, time span?
1: Um. We've been attacked 32 times since October 7th in Iraq and in Syria. Here's what I'm going to use you to put you just put it up to your ear. Here's what Anthony Blinken said yesterday in or uh, Sunday in Baghdad because in a surprise visit, cut 14.
4: There have been a series of attacks conducted by militia directed at at our personnel, both in Iraq uh, as well as in uh, in Syria. Uh, Job number one for me is to ensure the security of our people. Uh, And so I got an update on everything we're doing to make sure that our personnel uh, are safe and secure. Um, in addition, uh, I had a good, productive, candid meeting with Prime Minister al Sudani.
1: Okay. That, uh, I want to get your take on that response because I'm thinking about the 2,500 in Iraq and the yeah. 900 in Syria, yeah. and they want to know if they're going to be able to defend themselves. Well, number
2: one, he said, I'm doing everything I can, Secretary Blinken, to, to make sure they're safe. No, you're not. If you were doing everything you could, you would communicate to the Iranians that any further attacks against our troops in Syria or Iraq by Shia militia controlled by the Iranians would result in an attack on Iran by U.S. forces. We're moving the military capability in, but nobody believes we have the will to use it. So what I'm begging the the Biden administration to do is draw a red line. Further attacks against our people in Syria and Iraq will result in attacks in Iran against uh, the IRGC. Oil infrastructure. If they believe we would hit them in Iran, they would stop this. Uh, they believe that about Trump. When Trump kills Soleimani, everything sort of fell in place. We've lost deterrence. How do you regain it? You communicate red lines. There are two red lines that should be communicated. If Hezbollah attacks Israel on the nor- in the north in a serious way, then we're going after the. Is that Iranians. what that
1: submarine's there for? With all yeah, the well, well, we
2: got everything in place. You just got to be willing to use it. Again, if if Hezbollah launches. A portion of their 100,000 rockets at Israel, that could be a nightmare for Israel. You have our troops under siege in Syria and Iraq. I would be communicating directly, openly what my red lines are to Iran and enforce them. If you don't do that, one of our soldiers will be killed.
1: Right, and by the way, there were, might have been because evidently one of the drones, one-way just drones, didn't go off.
2: We're just lucky. So to all the family members who have loved ones in the East, we owe it to you and your loved yes. ones. Yes. I mean, we OK, on. every commander in chief should have the backs of troops in the field. Why are they in Syria and Iraq? decision
1: is that? Is the Secretary of Defense usually
2: empowered? It's up to empowered? the president. Yeah, but I, Austin, I ask him, you pull up the, the, the exchange. Can you say today to the world it is a red line to kill an American soldier in Syria and Iraq? If the Iranians keep attacking us through their proxies. We're coming after them. He would not say that. It's really up to Biden. So what we've lost here is deterrence. Why are our soldiers in Iraq and Syria to prevent the rise of ISIS? They're just not visiting Syria and Iraq. They're there to protect us against an enemy that hit us when they had the caliphate. They're there to make America safer. And you owe it to those people in Syria and Iraq to have their back. I can say this. The Biden administration is not being forceful enough to have the backs of those serving.
1: Does it remind you of anybody else? President Obama. Obama. Absolutely. When
2: I read about Obama, we all have blame here. President Obama was the weakest president in my lifetime when it came to the Middle East. He withdrew all of our forces from Iraq. We got ISIS. ISIS ran wild in Syria and Iraq. Uh, he, Missile defense out of Eastern Europe? Uh, all I can say is he empowered the Iranians. Uh, he withdrew all of our forces. We got ISIS. Turned out not to be the JV team. He surged in Afghanistan and announced the withdrawal date at the same time he surged. Terrorism was emboldened under his watch. Putin went into Ukraine under his watch. Biden is Obama 2.0, even weaker.
1: Uh, you just in Saudi Arabia? Yeah. So the uh, Prince, unpronounceable first name, uh, bin <laughs> Masoud, launched a sharp attack on the secretary general of Hezbollah, Nasrallah, Hassan yeah. Nasrallah, <clears throat> after his speech. There is no doubt, this is his quote, that the axis of resistance is a big lie. The 100,000 missiles and massive weapons that Hezbollah has have nothing to do with supporting the Palestinian cause. The so-called axis of resistance has been dealing with the Palestinian issue for years and only has means of implementing Iran's agenda. My goodness, did I write that? uh,
2: No, first thing, I thought you were reading what I said. So things have changed. The Abraham Accords, where Arab nations recognize Israel under President Trump, was a breakthrough. I am working with the Biden administration to do a deal between Saudi Arabia, the United States, and Israel. If we can pull the Arab world away from Iran and uh, toward Israel and the United States, that's a big deal. So what is the Saudi – saying he's saying that Hamas is not a resistance organization. But I was
1: told you can't tell the truth because of the Arab <laughs> Street. Well, the Arab Street he did will it. turn on you. He
2: did it. Well, you know the Arab Street's pretty hot right now. But like Turkey, what's this? What's this, is this all about? The PKK are terrorist. I get that. Well, Hamas. If you can't say Hamas is a terrorist group, you lost your no, way. You
1: declare war on Israel.
2: Yeah. So here, I think so. So the bottom line is the region is rejecting Hamas. Uh, the destruction of Hamas is non-negotiable. So the right. the Arabs are making a bet, and we need to encourage this bet, that their life is better with us right. rather than Iran, China, and Russia.
1: And guess who the head of Hamas was visiting? Iran. Iran. Uh, he Col- went to Col- Iran.
2: So they have 100,000 precision-guided rockets in Hezbollah hands that could overwhelm Iron Dome. If we do not communicate to Hezbollah and the militias in right. Syria and Iraq – what they can't do, they will do it.
1: You know, they will not live another day if they do it. They'll do do tremendous destruction on, on Israel, but yeah. they're not going to survive.
2: No, they're not. But right. well, I want to go to Iran. None of the Hamas is supported by Iran. Absolutely. Hezbollah is supported by Iran. Yep. The Shiite militias get their money from the Iranians. Their great Satan is Iran.
1: I hear you. Senator Lindsey Graham, great to see you in person. I know you got yeah. a big meeting.
2: Buy the book. Oh, Teddy yeah. and Booker T. Yeah, Teddy I'm going to buy one and give it away.
1: Well, Teddy and Booker T. Come out tomorrow. I have to I read two read American it. icons. Blazed yeah. the Bath to Racial Equality. You help me out with Frederick Douglass Lincoln. Well, I'm telling you, right. you do good stuff. Buy this book. Thanks a lot, Senator Lindsey Graham. Thank you.
0: Newsmakers and newsbreakers. here it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
2: That last screen said Joe Biden supported the genocide of the
5: Palestinian people. I know you know the definition of genocide. It is defined as a crime committed with intent to destroy a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. Do you think that's what Israel is doing here?
6: What's going on right now is a horror show. We don't
7: have to quibble about words. Thousands of men, women, and children are being killed. It has got to end right now.
1: He would not condemn Rashida Tlaib's comments, really calling out and accusing President Biden of genocide. I mean, what planet am I on? Senator Sanders rather side with Rashida Tlaib in the squad because that's who he is. He's a socialist first. He's certainly not Israel first. And he's a Jewish guy from Brooklyn and never has really given voice to any support for Israel. And you would think, at the very least, he'd be the voice of wisdom. The squad is very emotional. I like to come in and we have a sound of reasoning. Joe Biden is our president. We have to be more measured when it comes to these words. Words matter. Instead, you have somebody doing a 30-second spot or a minute spot condemning President Biden, saying you're basically going to lose my vote and everybody that supports me. And Rashida Tlaib, Jayapal, AOC, Nobody condemns the threat. In that piece, she has video from the exploding hospital, which the world knows was blown up by Islamic Jihad by mistake, not by the IDF. That's how how, uh, little she cares about the truth. She is in the wrong country. She should go and be a congresswoman for the Palestinian Authority. Let's see how that goes. And if you're gay or a woman, don't think you're going to like that society too much but 100,000 show up in Washington, D.C. to support it because they don't have to live there. Coming up next, Olivia Reingold joins us, staff writer for the Free Press. Great story about all these protests. She wanted just about all of them.
0: A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: There's a chance these people weren't supporting Hamas. Maybe they, were, they thought they were supporting hummus. They might have been supporting a delicious dip made out of chickpeas. Like It's like watching a dog when they first encounter stairs for the mm-hmm. first time. Like, you support terrorism? Well, i thunk, and then the head goes. <laughs> and then they start doing the tender little steps, and then they finally make it. I want them all to experience this reality over in the Middle East. Yeah. Everybody who, who supports Hamas should really take a field trip. You know, and just enjoy that and learn. Let that reality wash over you when you're handed a little rock and you have to throw it at a tank. Yeah, Enjoy yourself. Yeah, You're aligned with horrible people. You're about to be killed.
1: That is Michael Loftus having fun on The Gutfeld Show, but he's so true. How many of those tens of thousands, if not 100,000 people that showed up in Washington, D.C. to back Hamas and back the Palestinian people, understand what they're actually defending— Olivia Reingold was there at a bunch of protests, staff writer for the Free Press, uh, who's written for Politico in the past. Olivia, welcome back. Oh, thank you. So what do you think about uh, Michael Loftus's assessment? Do you think many people understood what they were actually f- defending when you were in Washington?
5: No, no, I don't I don't think so because I often would press people on, you know, there are all these these chants that have now become kind of – viral Instagram captions like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And when I would grill people, first of all, people were not had no appetite to be challenged. Right. Um, Often when I would ask, you know, very tame questions, people would be like, and they would kind of make it a safety issue. They would be like, you know, I'm not, I don't feel safe, you know, speaking to you anymore. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, but I didn't get many good, the people who were game to be pressed didn't, they just said, Palestine, we, the, this is Palestinians land and it mm-hmm. needs to go back to Palestine. And there weren't many answers as to what would happen to the Israelis and Jews who live there now.
1: Not their problem.
5: No, no, just a chant.
1: Do you ever take a step back, Olivia, and think to yourself, how did this start because of the worst massacre in modern times, the most brutal massacre, and now it's all against the victims? They're rallying against the victims, 1,400 people who were slaughtered, 790-plus that were just civilians?
5: And yeah. And now
1: we're watching protests for the, for the slayers.
5: I have a hypothesis. Which um, is? Well, I think that it's being perceived um in a racial lens i think that um uh you know a lot of um i think people who are supporting palestine and occasionally supporting hamas um are trying to stick up for um people they they are kind of interpreting like a minority as if you know the way that people think of black Americans here. I think it's being perceived in like a white black dynamic. And I've heard a lot of people, even close friends of mine refer to Jews um, and I am Jewish, but as white colonizers. Um, And so a lot of that academic language and that, that sort of racial lens I think Mm -hmm. is being applied here.
1: Right. You don't look like a colonizer just for the record. It doesn't seem like you. Uh, So (laughs) among the people, that are really messing with people's heads are the whole squad, who do not believe that Joe Biden is anything but evil. Now, suddenly, listen to Rashida Talib of Michigan. Cut twenty-six.
5: Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. We will remember in twenty twenty-four.
3: She threatening the president.
5: I I don't really know what that was honestly I just uh there I feel like the overall tone of that was just completely un uncompromising and I feel like what we really need is dialogue and it's very hard to to have a dialogue with people whose position is that extreme
1: Right um it is but it's it's oddly not being discounted by anyone really Uh, outside uh, Alyssa Slotkin, who's running for the Senate seat in Michigan. When you were walking around in D.C. over the weekend, you thought you had a bunch of people that didn't want to be challenged, you mentioned. Right. Is that any different from when you do? You also cover the protests in Philadelphia and in New York? Uh,
5: You're talking about these uh, pro-Palestine rallies. Yeah, honestly, um, strangely, the D.C. one, and this is kind of saying a lot because I did see signs in D.C. where, Um, You know, there was a a photo of Hitler next to Netanyahu and there were signs like that. So but despite that, I swear that the D.C. rally was more tame than what I have seen in New York. Um, I've probably been to four or five um, rallies in New York and. um,
1: Were there counter rallies, the ones you went to with. Pro-Israel?
5: I know that there were at some. I stayed mostly embedded in um, the pro-Palestine side, and it was just—it's honestly, the, I think it's the most hostile crowd, definitely depressed I have ever encountered. Um, most people, you know, there are people. Um, I, I honestly was kind of mocked for this tweet that I put out um, a few at from the DC rally where I saw this. This protester who was dressed, literally none of their skin was showing except for their eyes. And on their backpack, they had even put a piece of masking tape over the logo of their backpack so that they were completely unidentifiable. And I just posted, you know, no commentary, just that. And people were like. Oh, like, have you never been to a protest before? Like, and, (laughs) but uh, but, uh, to me, I think that's quite sinister. Like, you should be able to stand by your actions. And why would you show up to a rally completely so that you basically can't be held accountable for your actions?
1: Uh, Listen, I I hear you. I don't know what, where this came from. I sense there's a lot of money being thrown around to get 100,000 people into Washington, D.C., being bussed from everywhere. I didn't see any organic movement to support. Uh, this Palestinian movement. Who was talking about the Palestinian movement on October 6th? Very few people outside yeah,
5: the Yeah, not many. Not the many. other problem
1: in New York City is something you experienced and wrote about, and that is the overwhelming number of illegal immigrants that have come here, have been positioned here, some by bus from Texas, but more just deciding to come here from the border. It's over 130,000 or something to that, respect, to that respect. I understand, as people say, from 80 to 100 are still around. You, you wanted to do a story about this, about Hispanic community who came here legally and their response to the Hispanic community that's come here illegally, mm-hmm. the so-called migrants.
5: Right. Right. Yeah. This was an important story. So basically, I spoke with um, Hispanic Americans or Hispanic New Yorkers who are quite uh, angered and concerned with the arrival of. Uh, nearly 130,000 migrants since spring of 2022. And to me, this was an important story because the narrative is often that the only people who are concerned about this level of migration are, you know, MAGA Republicans or essentially bigots. And these were immigrants themselves who were really concerned, like, what is going to happen to my Social Security? Um, Because this is this is supposed to cost the city of New York 12 billion dollars. And by the
1: way, we're talking to Olivia Reingold, staff writer for the Free Press, and she just did this story about, OK, how does the Hispanic community about mostly Hispanics uh, all over the streets and taking over the hotels, getting their laundry service, getting three meals a day, even a mini menu in Ten City, taking over the parking garage. So we're overwhelmed by it. So this kind of blows up the Democrats theory. If we let them in, they'll become Democratic voters and be able to even to flip Texas at some point. It doesn't seem like that is happening. In fact, it looks like Joe Biden's losing more of the Hispanic vote.
5: Yeah, well, um Some of the people I spoke to, you know, I spoke to a lifelong Democrat who um, was actually considering voting uh, GOP for the first time in the city council race because of this. And he he was really compassionate, honestly, to um, many of the new arrivals. And he's even, you know, given out winter coats and things like that. But he is concerned about crime in his neighborhood. He doesn't he. He told me that he thinks that um, migrants might be stealing strollers at a nearby daycare, and so um, some of you know it was about half and half. Some of the the Hispanic New Yorkers I spoke to, they had already been voting Republican for a long time, but some some I spoke to were considering switching parties because of this.
1: Wow, and you got to see what's going to happen in January, but it's not going to get any better. I mean, have you been to the border in all your? Exploits?
5: No, no. You're going to be
1: blown away by I mean, it. Is just chaos at the border, and yeah. that's where they end up. This is what's so interesting is that this was a border problem in Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, and California. You didn't hear much about it as Democratic governor, but now you have the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Philadelphia, the mayor of New York City, the governor of New York City. Can't get the can't get an appointment with the president to talk about getting some money for the problem that he created. It's blurring the line. Don't you find that intriguing?
5: I do. I do find it really, really interesting how um, suddenly all of these ideas are kind of, you know, immigration is really just one arena in which I think people are reconsidering their previous positions. Um, But it is really interesting. I mean, um, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, has he took a trip recently um, to Latin America, basically to tell people not to come. Um, and he, he which ha- is not his job. It should not be his job. It, are you saying it should be Biden's? Or yes. yeah, okay. he's got a Homeland Security
1: yeah. secretary. He's got a Secretary of State to pressure some of these countries to get a hold of their own borders, get a hold of their own people. None of that's happening.
5: Yeah, I, I think that they have even begun passing out. Um, pamphlets. They have they have all sorts of literature that is trying to inform um, potential migrants not to come to New York.
1: So when you look at this situation, it's very fluid. I don't think it's going away. And as the intensity of Israel's bombing continues, play this thing out for the next week or two. How do you see this thing going? Knowing that Egypt, Jordan, uh, almost obviously Iran, we're getting rocketed in our bases there's a call for some type of ceasefire. there's riots or there's protests in our streets. We see it in a lot of other Western democracies. How's this play out?
5: Are you basically asking if like we could be seeing a lot more um Can we
1: see more of this? I don't think Israel's letting up
5: yeah, well, already um about six hundred migrants a day are arriving in New York, and so um and now we are starting to see people from you know it's not just Latin America now. You know, Chinese migrants are showing up at the border, um, Caribbean migrants. Um, and so, I mean, I I I don't know where it where it goes. But um, Eric Adams has already announced that no matter what, even at current levels, um, all city agencies will have to cut their budgets by at That's least five percent. Right. Over the While next losing three the years. tax
1: base because of the living conditions and crime going out of control. Uh, Olivia, thanks so much for coming in. Great to see you. Pick up the uh, the free press, and also the 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 story you have right right now is is this is not the America I knew. And you're talking about a Hispanic uh, gentleman who was known as Mister Overtime.
5: Yeah, yeah. And just by
1: work, today, would not take food stamps. Worked his way up.
5: Yeah, yeah. He said that he um he didn't know where he could ever get food stamps, and he didn't want to know because um he said it's important you earn your own money.
1: I hear you. Thank you, Olivia. Appreciate it. Thank you so when we much. we come back, we'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
0: Expanding your knowledge base, it's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
6: A Democratic strategists and people inside the world that now are doing a lot of not just quantitative but qualitative work in the field, doing focus groups right now, talking to these Democratic voters and asking them why they don't love Joe Biden, why they look at the state of the economy or what Biden's accomplishments or everything else, and why are they not with him? Why is he eroded so much in those groups? And what they find kind of confoundingly, a lot of average, ordinary, normal, workaday day Americans Democrats are asked in focus groups, they just say, well, Donald Trump's never going to be the nominee. We don't have to worry about that. That co- they, they have no idea. And I think it's, it's helpful mm-hmm. to, re- to remind people that we talk about Trump's poll numbers all day long on cable, but very few people are paying attention. It's a year out. This goes back to the thing of why these numbers don't matter that much a year away is because most voters do not tune into presidential politics until around Labor Day of an election year.
1: That's possible. I'm I'm not going to say that these focus groups didn't happen. I've never heard anyone say, I don't know how Donald Trump's doing, what he's doing, what his poll numbers are, ever, ever. I've never heard people say, yeah, what is Donald Trump been up to? He's in the press every other day. So you probably know he's in court right now in New York. He's speaking at this moment in New York City, ready to testify. His son went Friday. His other son went Thursday. Ivanka's going on Wednesday. I don't know. I don't know many people that don't know what Trump's doing. But I'll just assume that John, John Heilman went in there and said to a bunch of Democrats, I didn't know that Donald Trump was leading on the other side. Well, if you don't like Trump, you know he's leading. If you do like Trump, you know he's leading. I, I'm not saying you have to watch cable news to talk about the nuances of the Hunter Biden investigation. That's tough because we're the only one covering it. But Trump's numbers strong. David Axelrod didn't uh, didn't do, wasn't dismissive of it. As you know that he got Barack Obama elected twice. He said this, it's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict. And Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. He's defied conventional wisdom before, but this will send tremors of doubt through the parties. party, not bedwetting, but legitimate concern. And what he's talking about is five of six, Battleground states are clearly in Trump's corner. The only one he's trailing is Wisconsin, he's down by two. Axelrod went on to write, only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he will be the nominee of the Democratic Party. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise, whether it's in his best interest or the country's, which means it's not, and he should know it, and he should step aside. Here's Jeff Van Drew, cut 23. It's a cognitive
7: disability that this president has. Obviously, he's been affected. Obviously, there's
2: something going on with his health. He barely sometimes can string two sentences together. He has a pause where he completely forgets what he was speaking about. I don't want to be mean-spirited, but my God, everybody around the world sees this. That's the
1: thing. It's not mean-spirited. If he was just a pundit on the McLaughlin group in 1988, I wouldn't care. But he's the president, and he can't hold the thought together. I mean, we—I'd if I saw him, if he was not president, and I saw him pop up on Meet the Press, like Al Gore will once in a while, and I saw this, I'd be like, what the hell happened? They would cut the commercial early and say, Joe Biden is diminished to the point. I don't think he could be out there. But what they really hate is Trump. So what they're going to do, and I just want you to be prepared for this, and If you're out there in a suburban mom that jumped off the Trump train, that's fine. Do your own research, because I'm already seeing they're lining up against Trump. And the worse Biden does, and the longer he stays in, which means he can't get out, the more they're going to go after Trump. And look, four indictments, another civil trial here trying to bankrupt him. They're going to postpone, it looks like, the documents case. It looks like that's going to go after the election, as it looks right now. The other ones will probably come quicker. And as they do that and try to try him, and the Washington Post writes a story that he's always going to do if he gets reelected is go for revenge. They want to make him unelectable and should fear should he win. They're going to try to bring up his cognizant ability. Only 19% of people think that he's too old. I think over 70%, even Democrats think that Joe Biden's too old. Uh, For those of you out there, uh, listen, uh, Teddy and Booker T is coming out tomorrow, and I'll be uh, on point of vidra Friday, WOKV listeners. Uh, And Thursday, I'll be in Red Bank, New Jersey. That's also co produced by Fox Station. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where exactly I'll be.
0: From the Fox News radio studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, I hope you had a great weekend. It's hard to take your eyes off what's going on in the war politics. The Trump trials, Donald Trump just spoke in New York City 10 minutes ago, at which time he outlined how unfair this civil trial is. And I thoroughly agree. Letitia James, uh, the politically minded AG, said said the same thing. This is not about politics. It's about justice. There is no way this is about justice. By the, by the way, the statute of limitations out on almost every one of these challenges. Nobody got hurt, but they're actually bringing the Trump team through the ringer. And now, if you're a bank and they want to expand their properties or get involved in an investment, who's going to lend to them because they get this type of scrutiny? What accountant's going to work for them? They end up in jail. So – I just think it's scary for uh, us pedestrians out there who do not have the political wherewithal to fight back like this. Michael Goodwin is standing by. And then at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to have with us Uh, Pierre Rehove, a French Israeli reporter, writer, and documentary filmmaker who has been covering the conflict in the Middle East for the last 25 years. In many ways, what's going on now is unprecedented. But first, let's go to the big three.
0: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
5: Number three. Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. We will remember. In 2024.
1: Yeah, I guess you will. You're a Democrat, by the way, Miss Squad member, and the president's treated you with nothing but respect that you obviously don't deserve. The Democratic Civil War uh, over the war in Israel hitting the fever pitch as Biden gets blasted by the unhinged Squad, his socialist supporters, and thousands of protesters.
3: Number two. Yeah, it's not an outlier. We've seen similar polls like this that show in that hypothetical matchup, which doesn't seem all that hypothetical anymore, of Biden uh, versus Trump. It shows that he can actually win and is leading in these battleground states.
1: Jonathan Carl can't believe it of ABC 2024 turns to the Trump show. An overwhelming good news delights Trump world, but he leads every battleground state and the calls for Joe to go get louder. Meanwhile, the former president, as I mentioned, back in civil court today.
7: Number one.
4: It's important that um, as we're engaged in pursuing humanitarian pause, this can be something that, that advances the prospect of getting the hostages back can also advance other things that we're committed to doing.
1: Uh, Yeah, it can be. Uh, Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, all throughout the region over the weekend. Israel at war. The U.S. pushes for a pause while Iran pushes up attacks on our bases in Syria, Iraq, and elsewhere. As Blinken buzzes around the Middle East, I'm talking about Iraq, the Palestinian Authority on the West Bank, then over to Turkey, and now I assume he's coming home today. It is mayhem. Michael Goodman has been following it all. In this relatively unprecedented time over the weekend, Michael, the Israelis dropped a 2000 pound bomb. They're looking to get they're looking to get rid of this group forever and blow up those tunnels for good. Well, good morning, Brian. Look,
7: uh, Israel has been very clear from the beginning about that, that that was the goal. They weren't going in there just to uh, gain a little ground or kill a few people and then ca- then call a halt, as has happened in the past. There have been a number of these flare-ups that go on for a week or so. And then th- they, they have a ceasefire, and they make an agreement, and things go back. But what happened this time is fundamentally different. This was an attempt—the uh, assault by Hamas was an attempt to really uh, carry through on its plan of extermination of the Jews. And that's what this assault on October 7th was about. And so I think this time Israel has correctly said, that's it. The game's over. We're no longer going to do tit for tat. Now we're going to eradicate you, because it's clear that there's no reform in Hamas. There is no... Mediation possible. There is no uh, uh, any kind of desire to coexist with Israel. It's one or the other. That's the game, that's the rule Hamas has now made. But Michael, Israel is following through.
1: But your point is Joe, stick with your guns. Stop with the pause. Stop with the ceasefire. Stop knuckling under. Stop equivocating. His representative, the principal deputy national security advisor, John Finer, cut two.
3: We give a lot of credit, frankly, to the Palestinian Authority for the work that it has done to prevent uh, the West Bank uh, from spiraling into greater instability, even in the context of what's happening in Gaza. Uh, And in the aftermath of this, the president has said we need to get back to the urgent work of working towards a two-state solution that includes uh, both Gaza and the West Bank.
1: Well, I know he's got to have a goal, but that's not the goal. That's not a plausible goal. When you bring that up in that region, they know you're a joke.
7: Look, I think there are several things the administration is saying that make no sense. First of all, the idea of a ceasefire without a hostage release is ridiculous. That would just encourage Hamas you know, if, if you're going to have a ceasefire, then there has to be some, pay, some some reason that the Israelis are interested in it. It can't just be foisted on them. And I think the administration has been very slow and, in fact, missing in action on the issue of the hostages. The second thing is this talk of a, of a, uh, of a two-state solution. It's silly. It's almost like Biden is playing to the squad. And playing to the anti-Semites, that somehow it, there will there will be out of this a Palestinian state. There was a Palestinian state. It's called Gaza, and look what it became. So right now, Israel is not in the mood, nor should it be, to trust that a Palestinian state would coexist. I think the administration, the American administration, is making a mistake in going down this road, and I fear, Brian that Joe Biden is increasingly being influenced by, the, by the, uh, the campaign against him by the left, by the squad, by, by young people marching, that, that he's, he's moderating his support for Israel in order to try to please the left with talk of a ceasefire, with talk of a, of a Palestinian state. These things make no sense uh, in this context. And so I think that it, it's all just a political reason that he's doing this. And there, and it's not a good military reason. And I think that's a mistake for the president to impose his political needs on the Israeli military and the Israeli government.
1: Right. He can't control his own party. And I mean, I'm talking about one day after the uh, the ridiculous speaker search that never should have happened. You watch these Democrats tearing each other's eyes out. Then Bernie Sanders hops on TV and I go, this is going to be the socialists saying, dial it back, squad. This is how you act. Back the president or he's going to lose. Instead, listen to this. Cut 27.
5: That last screen
2: said Joe Biden supported the genocide of the Palestinian people. I know you know the definition of genocide. It is defined as a crime committed with intent to destroy a national ethnic racial or religious group do you think that's what israel is doing here
6: What's going on right now is a horror show we don't have to quibble about words thousands
7: of men women and children are being killed it has got to end right now
1: quibble about words a president of the united states was was told he was committing genocide either defend him or condemn him don't quibble about words what, what does that even mean then he went and said what about donald trump uh in the same answer he's in total panic did he not prethink this
7: well, um, apparently not, because the, I, I think Bernie is trying to straddle the fence also. The Democratic Party is tr- is trending left. And there are all kinds of surveys, Brian, showing that young voters who make up a very important base in the Democratic Party are less supportive of Israel than older generations. And so Biden is, is caught between this, and it, it's almost as though his Presidency uh, requires that he help our ally, but his political campaign requires that he that he trim that support down to please the, the far left, and you can't do both. I mean, I, I think it's a mistake. The stakes are too high, and so you you you, you hear it increasingly. There's no talk of Iran. There's no talk of of all of these malign actors in that region. It's almost as though we're back to the Obama years uh when when we're courting Iran and we're just trying to keep you Israel are back. in line. It's yes, not even a question. That's right. It it is an it's an echo of the same policy. And it, so therefore I think it's it's not it's not just a coincidence that Obama himself is out there talking as though both sides are are a little bit wrong. That's ridiculous. That's I mean, that's just like back to the classroom kind of sociology
1: talking. And this is not the real world. And Michael, tell me you wouldn't want Mike Pompeo, not Anthony Blinken over there. Tell me you wouldn't want Robert Johnson trying to get hostages out of being the president's the voice in president's ear. Tell me you wouldn't want even Nikki Haley when she was there. It's probably not gonna happen if if she doesn't get the nomination uh this time. You had, you had strength out there. You don't have strength right now. Listen to Anthony Blinken, to your point, in Baghdad, Iraq, where he should have been telling that prime minister, this is it, if my guys get hit, I don't care what you want, we're blowing up the militias that you're allowing to fester in your country. Instead, we get this, cut 14.
4: There have been a series of attacks conducted by militia directed at our personnel, both in Iraq uh, as well as in, uh, in Syria. Uh, job number one for me is to ensure the security of our people, uh, and so I got an update on everything we 're doing to make sure that our personnel uh, are safe and secure. Um, in addition, uh, I had a good, productive, candid meeting with Prime Minister al Sudani. Oh.
7: Brian, I I share your revulsion at that kind of talk. I mean, we're going to keep our troops safe and secure. Well, why don't we hit back at the people who are endangering our troops and trying to kill them? I mean, if you want to keep your troops safe and secure, if that's all you care about, bring them home. But if you're going to put them there for a purpose, then carry through on the purpose. I mean, they're sitting ducks if they're not allowed to fight back. If we're not protecting them with our military power, it's that kind of talk, Brian, that I, that I think is just so wrong-headed uh, about the Iran influence in the region and it's it's still remember on October 7th there were, uh, follow up the press reports how Hamas and Iran were talking and even training and all of that about the attack but the administration can still find no clear evidence of Iranian involvement there there is no Hamas without Iran Ugh. there's no Hezbollah without Iran the New York Times so- Washington
1: Post and Wall Street Journal all have not only that they had meetings biweekly meetings in Beirut they also had 500 training in Iran and they just choose not to even follow up on these stories these journalists are traveling with them hey did the president would like to talk to you for a second where'd you get that intelligence yeah yeah
7: I mean paragliders paragliders I mean that came straight out of Gaza Come on. I mean, so it's like the administration doesn't want to talk about the the gorilla in the room. It's shut its eyes because it's inconvenient Mm -hmm. to Joe Biden's world theory and Tony Blinken's world theory, which is very much like Barack Obama and John Kerry back in the driver's seat. We have to we have to play nice to Iran. We cannot let Israel get too strong. We we have to hate Saudi Arabia. It's all about trying to create a Mideast East that they believe in but which runs counter to the reality of what's actually going on.
1: Now some encouraging news. I read this in the Jerusalem Post, a speech in Saudi Arabia by Prince Musad, uh, one of the many princes I imagine. He launched a sharp attack on the secretary general of Hezbollah, saying Nasrallah, after the speech that he gave regarding Gaza, he said there is no doubt that the axis of resistance is a big lie. The 100,000 missiles and massive weapons that Hezbollah has has nothing to do with supporting Palestinians. The so-called axis of resistance has been dealing with the Palestinian issue for years and is only a means of implementing Iran's agenda in the region. He went on to say... That uh, that, uh, Nasrallah said all illusions based on loud slogans and resident speeches should fall with him. Nasrallah did not believe his own speech until he said that all effects must be made to stop the war in Gaza. Why do you say that when you're not going to do it? It's so disgusting that you say what you don't do. This is Saudi Arabia seeing through it like we're seeing through it.
7: Yeah. But, I mean, is is he calling for Nasrallah to throw Hezbollah into the fight? Um, I mean, look, we should not assume that every anti-Israel group in the region agrees with all the others. I mean, uh, there are complaints, uh, you know, already. I, I saw a speech over the weekend from uh, and one of the Abbas associates in the in the West Bank denouncing Hamas, denouncing that this is Islam, denouncing the killing of babies and that sort of thing. So th- there is clearly a split among even the the hardest of the hard uh, soldier types uh, in the Palestinian world, and I think it's important that that we recognize that. And I think that's in part what they're trying to do, uh, Blinken and the others, by trying to get Israel to have a ceasefire. But the problem with that ceasefire is it gives Israel nothing, and it does nothing to wipe out Hamas. That should be the American policy, too. Even Hillary Clinton said the other day that a ceasefire would only benefit Hamas. She called it a gift to Hamas. I mean, so when you're out of the government, you can see that. When you're in the government playing these games, like you're playing a chess game here, and you're trying to balance everything, and then you've got a, a political campaign in the early stages where the support for Israel seems to be hurting the president politically, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid they're just making their decisions on bad information and, and and bad ideas.
1: Michael Goodwin always great. Continue to read read his columns. The latest one It's time for Biden to play hardball with Hamas. Uh, I hear you. I hopefully he does, but I sense he's listening to the protesters and the people that defiled the fence at the White House over the weekend. Thanks so much, Michael.
7: My pleasure, Brian. Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, when we come back, I will take your calls, one 866 um, and also get your comments. If you go to BrianKilmead.com, click on Comments. I get them now. We're all fired up because the website's been updated. Don't move.
0: Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmead. The more you listen... The more you'll know, it's Brian Kilmeade.
6: Well, now it feels like home. Thank you all very much. What a shock You're for Trump. I'm going to fall over dead. Now, look, every one of those boos, every one of those catcalls, every one of those yells will not keep it. Yes, sure. Will not solve one problem we face in this country. Will not stop and will not make this country better. Your anger, your anger, your anger against the truth is reprehensible.
1: Well, that's not a great way to win over the crowd. Uh, But they were getting booed and they were being rude. And he's against Trump. And that's a very pro-Trump crowd, right?
3: It's a pro-Trump And he's. He's not wrong. I mean, they're booing the truth. I mean, whether or not you agree with what's going on is one thing. But the fact that, you know, he does have all of the cases against him is a fact.
1: Right. And by the way, we just got an email too. Uh, Chris Christie was booed while walking on stage at the Florida Republican Party's Freedom Summit on Saturday. Chris Christie was booed. Please take note. I just because we like Chris Christie doesn't mean we're not going to report when he gets booed. I mean, come yeah, on. 100 percent. Right. And uh, Rashida, this James writes us to uh, about Rashida Tlaib. Says, Since Talib is Muslim, she isn't bound by the, uh, the convents of her religion, such as wearing a hijab and covering her face, wearing clothing that covers her knees, and being escorted by a male relative, uh, relative in public. I'm not an expert. I do not know all the rules for Muslim women, but I'm pretty sure she breaks
0: all of them. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: Do you want to clear the air and clearly condemn the attack in Hamas today?
6: No, I want to clear the record. First of all, the Palestinian Authority is not what represents the Palestinian people. It's the PLO. It's the Palestine Liberation Organization. Number two, uh, let me clarify another matter. It's the state of Palestine
1: that will take over and protect its people in the West Bank, in Jerusalem, and in Gaza
9: once the Palestinian-occupied territory is liberated. Number three, it
10: is the opportunity for the U.S. to be the the peacemaker.
1: So that is Hussam Zamlat. He is the Palestinian ambassador to the United Kingdom, and he refused to condemn the October 7th attacks. And by the way, he should refuse because Fatah, which is the armed equivalent of the PLO, was taking part in the attacks. They posted on video with great pride. We weren't left out. We're part of it. Look how tough we are. Uh, They're as bloodthirsty as Hamas in some respects. Pierre Rihove is a French-Israeli reporter, writer and documentary filmmaker, has been covering conflicts in the Middle East for the last 25 years, and he joins us now. Pierre, welcome. Thank
11: you. I'm happy to be with you guys.
1: Pierre, I, I guess what, you're probably one of the people not surprised that Hussam, the ambassador, Zumlat, did not condemn the October 7th attacks. Why not? Why not use this opportunity to separate himself from Hamas?
11: Well, because, because, first of all, he, uh, he pretends to represent the Palestinian people, and actually uh, not the PLO, nor the Fatah, nor the Hamas are actually be- really representing the Palestinian people. They are just representing the interest of a few people. Mahmoud Abbas uh, has stolen hundreds of millions of dollars uh, from uh, the uh, international help. He built himself a $35 million house That you can see in Ramallah, he just bought himself a couple of years ago a 15 million dollars private jet to travel around and be welcomed by uh, by uh, all all the leaders of the world. And on the top of that, they spend between 10 and 17 percent of the budget of the Palestinian territories on uh, giving stipends, salaries to the terrorists who are in jail. In other words, uh, because of the law they have and because of of the habit they have, the people who conducted the massacre on October 7, some of them, not to say all of them, will receive a salary uh, from the Palestinian Authority or their families will receive a salary If they were killed during the operation and the more Jews you killed, the more money you receive. That is the Palestinian Authority. And I'm not even talking about Hamas because it's not even a terrorist organization. It's a Nazi organization.
1: So you've done interviews with them. You were doing a documentary on Hamas before these attacks. What should we know about them?
11: Well, they are the result of a very, very oppressive society. I'm talking. I'm not talking politically at this point. I'm talking about the individual psychol psychology, or should I say, psychopathology of those people. Uh, they have been raised in a totally um, uh, in an environment where absolutely everything is forbidden. We cannot have. a normal relationship with somebody of the other gender. They cannot go out to restaurants and cinemas. I'm not even sure they have cinemas in some of the Palestinian territories. And they don't have a normal life as we have in in the Western world. It's not because of Israel. It's because of Islam. It's because this is how they want to live. And this is how they, they, are, how they, they are perceived by their neighbors and by anybody else. So Basically, they have a sense of honor, which depends on the behavior of the women. In other words, if some woman in the Palestinian Authority, in the Palestinian territories, doesn't behave the proper way, she might end up uh, being the victim of a crime of honor, being killed by the father, being killed by the brother. And it's not a mythology. In the meantime, those terrorists... Are usually are young, young men, very few of them are older men, married older men. They are young men uh, between 15 and 25 years old. They don't have a relationship. They, they, they are brainwashed uh, in the mosque. They have been brainwashed in school. They are brainwashed by the by parents. They consider that Israel shouldn't have the right to, to exist. And when they say occupation, they mean Tel Aviv. They don't mean Ramallah or Jenin. They mean Tel Aviv. This is for them. This is occupation. So the goal of most of the Palestinians is basically what they chant in the the parades in Los Angeles and in New York, which is from the river to the sea, Palestinians will be free. In other words, uh, Islam will take off. Uh, Israel, and all the Jews are going to be exterminated or, 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 or sent to the sea or expelled. And that's a uh, Palestine free from the river to the sea. In other words, going back to the 7th century and being, and being ruined by, by, uh, run by people who basically are no better than Daesh. This is what they want.
1: So here's what Trey Yink says, our reporter in the field in Tel Aviv, and he was just in Gaza yesterday, cut 13.
2: There's a huge frustration among Palestinian civilians in Gaza that I've been talking to about what happened. Some of them were horrified by the massacre that took place in southern Israel on October 7th, and they understand that what Hamas did set the Palestinian cause back decades. Now, oftentimes, people look at the situation on the ground, and they're not able to make the important distinction between the Palestinian people and the terror organization Hamas. And so there is a frustration among moderate Palestinians about what took place and there's an understanding that as this unravels, there are people in the United States, for example, that are taking to the streets and protesting against Israel without having a firm understanding about Hamas and what the organization stands for.
1: So do you pick that up? Do you speak to people if they if they can keep their anonymity? Do they do you speak honestly like that? I,
11: I totally agree with what, with what this gentleman just said, and he's in Gaza, and I'm 10 miles north of Gaza. I don't live in Tel Aviv. I live in Ashdod. And uh, I agree, There not a huge number, there, but yet a very substantial number of Palestinians who are moderate and would like to have a normal life. And uh, maybe people don't know, but thousands of Palestinians cross, used to cross the border with Israel every day to get a job. 18,000. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, from Gaza and much more from the other side, from the West Bank. Uh, and and uh, the and you know in Israel, when you have the when you you work, there is a minimum wage uh, which is legal. Whether you're Jew or Muslim or Christian or whatever, everybody has to make the same amount of money. So if you come to inside Israel, you're going to get the Israeli minimum wage, which is about five times to ten times whatever they would get within the Palestinian uh, Authority or, or, or in Gaza under Hamas. And they pay taxes. That's the reason why for so long the Hamas was happy with having these people crossing the border, because on the way back, yeah, <laughs> here it is. Give me the money. Uh, this is really a gigantic racket. It's a gangster organization, and it's been going on for too long. And one of the problems is that because of the media and be- because of the cowardice of a lot of governments, instead of making pressure on the Palestinians, they always make pressure on Israel. And Israel has been trying to do whatever they could for 75 years to make peace with the Palestinians. 48, you know, partition plan, uh, Israel accepted. I mean, the Jews accepted half of the country. Rejected by the Arabs, they attacked Israel. They tried to kill all the Jews. It didn't work. Okay, 67, 73, uh, the, the Oslo, uh, the Oslo uh, Accords. Then 2000, uh, Camp David, Clinton. Every time the Palestinians refuse peace, and then. They go in the street of France and and America and say that Israel is the attacker.
1: Israel wants only one thing. uh, Leave us in peace. That's it. Pierre, uh, you work – is this documentary that you have going, is it available? Well,
11: Suicide Killers about the psychopathology of suicide Suicide killers. killers. Yeah, it's available, I think, almost everywhere YouTube and Vimeo, et cetera. But I would also recommend people to watch another one which might make them understand the reality of the Palestinian society. It's called Terror, Racket and Corruption. It's also available everywhere very easily, and it's becoming a right. huge success in France. I don't know why.
1: <laughs> well, and you, you're living in, uh, right now you're living in Israel, but you're French by, are you were born in France.
11: I was actually born in Algeria when it was still part of France, and I was expelled, like all French people, from Algeria, which became an Arab country. And then I lived in France for many years before moving to gotcha. New York, and then from New York I moved to Israel. It, it, life.
1: If, you're there, if you're right now strategizing with the Israelis, knowing how much pressure they're under, do they? I, I believe they have to totally eradicate, blow up all those tunnels, and blow up a, and get rid of every Hamas agent they can. Do you agree? If it stops short, this has been a waste of time.
11: Well, we've done that many. I say we because I'm Israeli as well. Uh, Israel has been doing that so often, so many wars with Hamas. And then all of a sudden, the world stands on its feet and says, ceasefire, ceasefire. And then the Hamas goes out from the tunnels and say, victory, victory. And then three years later, another attack. And it goes on and on. This time, no ceasefire. Israel has to go all the way. They attacked us. They massacred innocent people. They took hostages. There is not going to be a ceasefire. And I'm sorry, from my point of view, no matter the cost for the enemy, it doesn't matter. We have to go after Hamas because if not, it's going to be again and again. And they are not only against Israel. They are, they are against the free world. And we are, in a way, protecting the free world by fighting them.
1: And what I, what I want my audience to, our audience to understand— is you're not just giving your opinion. You're giving up what you found out when talking to Hamas, living in Israel. This is the opinion of somebody that knows what it's like uh, to live there and knows the chances they've gotten, how sadly they mischaracterized what Hamas was doing. They thought they were trying to become more of a governing agency. and Instead, they were actually plotting and planning for the most horrific attack in modern times. Uh, Pierre Rahov, thanks so much.
11: My pleasure to be with you.
1: You got it. One eight six six four zero right, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Just a quick note. Uh, the Teddy and Booker T is out tomorrow. The story of two American icons who blazed the path to racial equality. I think you're going to love this story. It'll give you a great sense of two Americans who come out of nowhere to be uh, all-time greats. It gives you a sense that you could do it yourself. You can order it. Also, we've got a special on Fox Nation available as of yesterday. Full hour. It tells you about these guys in a way. We've been working on this for about a year, uh, the book for three, but the, the documentary for about a year, and I think you're going to love it. Just go to Fox Nation, and you'll see it right up there at the top. Um, and don't don't forget, if you're in New Jersey, Red Banks, New Jersey is where I'm going to be on Thursday, November 9th, and then on Friday, uh, I'm going to be in Ponte Vedra. On Saturday, Vero Beach in the Villages. On Sunday, it's going to be Vero Beach. On Saturday, it's going to be the Villages. So it's going to be – I'm going to have a chance to go out and see it. Just go to BrianKilmead.com. Back in a moment.
0: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: You know, we talk about Biden's age a lot. Biden's negatives are on television every day. You see them. Um, Trump, Trump has become also increasingly uh, confused about things. He Sometimes he thinks that he lost uh, to Obama in the last election. He confuses uh, basic facts, uh, says some rather strange things. But there isn't much attention paid. As we get closer to these primaries, we'll see where not just Trump is based on these criminal cases, but where he is now as a, as a human being.
1: So that is Jonathan Carl, who's panicking that Donald Trump might win, or uh, he can't believe that he wrote a hit book. Uh, listen, Trump does a lot of weird, uh, different stuff. He's unorthodox every day he's on this planet, which uh, it wins big, has some other stuff like January 6th. Nobody thinks it was a good move to have the rally. Nobody thinks it was a good move. Um, not that he ever wanted that, uh, to not make a quick announcement. I don't want to go over that. But it's amazing to me how Democrats keep on doing January 6th. Did you know 60 Minutes lead story? On John Eastman, one of those obscure attorneys that, that is in trouble now. Mike Pence, again, did a great thing. i 100 percent right. I don't need to see Mike Pence attorney on. Out of all the things going on in the world, look what's happened in Ukraine. Look what's happened in the Middle East. Look at China being on the march. Look at the broken down border. How could you say? Let's do January 6th again. The Washington Post has a story that Donald Trump is all about getting revenge. He'll get into office and he's going to get revenge and blow up the institutions. Uh, Farid Zakaria, same thing, last night, watching on CNN, he was on, I wanted to get his perspective on what's going on with Anthony Blinken and his trip. He knows Blinken well, I thought Mike had some insight helping him with this show. Instead, Farid Zakaria is saying, well, Donald Trump, if he was in charge, it would be a scary thing, and January 6th, he's never really paid that price for, and he's not really balanced. Wait a second, what are you talking about, Donald Trump? Donald Trump, if you want to talk about this trial, uh, that's in the news. He's on trial right now in the stand. Evidently, he's sparring out with the judge. The judge is trying to reprimand him, uh, and he's not listening. He's giving out speeches, and I don't blame Trump. He's being totally, um, he's been totally railroaded by this whole civil trial. So that stuff. You want to talk about that? I get it. But you keep on bringing up things while not acknowledging that for two and a half years you made up some story that he's an illegitimate president, Hakeem Jeffries. Because the Russians put him there, Hillary Clinton. Remember that? Never stopped. Nancy Pelosi, never stopped. The only time he was considered a president when he was a former president. And they talk about how he got elected and everybody should be on the lookout because Trump is stronger than everyone thinks when it comes to the polls. Here's a little bit more uh, about the poll. Even Jonathan Carl admits, and the poll has him up by... 51 to 47 over Biden, winning in five of six battleground states. In almost every issue, he's got Biden by 20 points, from immigration to foreign policy to the economy. Cut 17.
3: Yeah, it's not an outlier. We've seen similar polls like this that show in that hypothetical matchup, which doesn't seem all that hypothetical anymore, of Biden uh, versus Trump. It shows that he can actually win and is leading in these battleground states.
1: I don't know what the indictment's going to do if they turn into convictions. I don't think that much. But if he looks like he keeps losing to Biden, who's lost his mind through agent deterioration and two aneurysms, whatever. If the moderates, the undecided say, yeah, I just I can't vote for a guy that got convicted, even if I don't think the trial. I don't know what that's going to do, but it's not going to touch his base. So Reince Priebus has asked a leading question. Basically, well, let's listen. Got 20.
9: If you look at the electorate today, when I look back at 2016, Donald Trump represented the biggest middle finger that the electorate as a body could find. And what this poll shows and what I see happening across this country is that they're looking for an even bigger middle finger this time. They're more angry today. People are more concerned about where we are in the economy. They said in this poll they're not better off than they were four years ago. They said in in one of the responses is that the world is falling apart. And and importantly, also in this poll, the the respondents said over 60 percent of the people said that, that Biden was not mentally up to par. So you combine all of that and the fact that they see Donald Trump as retribution and a big middle finger, the reality is the more it becomes about Donald Trump, I think if, the, if you agree with that, then I think he could get even stronger but, as, but, the, as, as, as we move forward because I, I, none I mean, of these things are affecting Donald Trump.
1: And you heard Jonathan Carl interrupt because he's like, what are you talking about? No, no. If you look at the policies, aside from the sideshow and maybe tweeting at somebody that he shouldn't have, it may be overreacting to critics on the right and left. Having said that, in terms of the tax reform, I think it was adding some stuff to the deficit, but it was starting to bring some money, a lot of money back in. When it comes to the border, they were getting it right the best they could while waiting for reform to take root. When it comes to foreign policy, Ukraine would not have been invaded. Afghanistan, we never would have left like that. There's no way. His ego wouldn't have let him leave like that. I totally disagree with David Petraeus. About that. I didn't love the job Ambassador Khalizad, the deal Ambassador Khalizad was cutting. Trump would have stopped it in his tracks. I'm not saying that he didn't want to get out of Afghanistan. He absolutely did. And believe me, Iran would have been in a box. He wouldn't have had the money to train Hamas to do the type of carnage they did in Israel. And I'm not just saying that. The reason why these polls are like they are is people are saying, I like my life better even in the pandemic and the unknown, than I do now. Don't want the green agenda. I don't want a new train. I want to get oil and gas responsibly.
0: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a great weekend. We're back in action now. A lot going on. It's hard to take your eye off everything going on in the news. Uh, We watch President Trump now on trial on the stand. Reportedly no cameras in once it starts, only in there in the beginning. And what a clown this judge is. I mean, this guy is just what a loser. Uh, What a showman. I cannot wait for this appeal to take place. Whatever you think of President Trump, I don't care if you voted for him or not, no one can look at this civil trial and think justice is being done. And I'm telling you one thing, exact opposite is happening. As these trials get more and more fringe, his numbers go up. So this hour, we're going to be joined to by Congressman Byron Donalds, as well as Josh Krushauer who is standing by of Axios. Uh, he also is a, uh, the editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. So let's get to the big three.
0: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
5: Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. We will remember in 2024.
1: Yeah, that's nice, Rashida Tlaib, fellow Democrat. The president stuck up for you in your crazy squad friends and now it's a democratic civil war and they're hitting a fever pitch against president biden getting blasted by the unhinged squad its socialist supporters and thousands of protesters
3: number two yeah it's not an outlier we've seen similar polls like this that show in that hypothetical matchup which doesn't seem all that hypothetical anymore of biden uh, versus trump it, it shows that he can actually win and is leading in these battleground states
1: 2024 it turns to the trump show As overwhelmingly good news delights Trump world, he leads in every battleground state and the calls for Joe to go get louder. Meanwhile, the former president back in court.
6: Number
4: one. It's important that um, as we're engaged in pursuing humanitarian pause, this can be something that that advances the prospect of getting the hostages back. It can also advance other things that we're committed to doing.
1: Israel at war the U.S. pushes for a a pause, which Iran pushes up attacks on our bases in Syria and Iraq as uh, the Secretary of State buzzes around all around the Middle East, engaging uh, all of the mayhem. Uh, Josh Krashower joins us now, uh, Fox News Radio political analyst and editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider, also works for Axios. Josh, welcome back. How crazy are these times? I mean, to see the former president speak before he goes to trial— raging war in the Middle East, a Secretary of State hitting six separate countries in about two days. Crazy times.
10: Yeah, Brian, I mean, it's chaos. I think if you're just someone who turns on the news and, and looks at the headlines, it looks like the world is in chaos in the country. Their political situation is as volatile as ever. And, you know, you talked about the polls, the New York Times polls over over the weekend. I mean, that that is what you're seeing in, in, in those numbers, that Americans are dissatisfied with the state of the country they're worried about their economic situations they're worried about all the, all these foreign crises that are exploding on on the international scene and they don't have the confidence that president biden is 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 able to handle these these challenges and um, both in terms of his age and in terms of their own ability to you know, their own assessment of how he's handled them so far. So uh, this is a very, very volatile moment in in our politics, in the country and around the world. And it's all coming to a head, Brian, in 2024.
1: Yeah, right now, head to head nationally, uh, Trump leads Biden 51-47. Trump leads in five critical states, as you mentioned. Voters under 30 favor Biden by only a single percentage point. And his lead among Hispanic voters is down to single digits. As voters blast the president on the economy, foreign policy, immigration, just about everything else. And Siena, I think, Josh, you would say, does not lean right. You know, it's not the Trafalgar poll. I mean, Siena isn't really kind to this president. The CBS poll also wasn't kind to the president. It says 65 percent of the country think things are going badly in America. That was in January. Now it's up to 73. That's usually doomed for a sitting president.
10: Yeah, it, these are. Awful numbers. Let's not mince words. These are about as bad as it gets for an incumbent president. Uh, and it's not just the top line numbers, but it's the fact that a lot of the key elements of the Biden coalition, the voters who helped elect uh, Biden back in 2020, younger voters, African-American voters, Hispanic voters, uh, all all of those key demogra- de- democratic demographics are showing a significant amount of dissatisfaction. They're they're not going to show up to to vote for Biden in 2024. Maybe they'll vote third party. The the stunning statistic that you noted, Brian, is that uh, Biden is only up uh, one point against Trump uh, among the youngest uh, voters. A lot of those voters, by the way, may not be Trump supporters, but a lot of them are just staying home or voting for You know, the left wing among them are voting for Cornel West or another alternative candidate that might be on the ballot in 2024. So he's bleeding support from his base. I mean, this is, he's taking it on all sides. He's getting a lot of defections from his base. And he's losing swing voters, people who are more moderate, who turn towards him in 2020. They're not satisfied with the state of the country. They're not satisfied with the state of the economy. So he's taking it on all sides. It's a very precarious position for any president.
1: To be. I mean, it was just a week ago where you and I were talking about how divided the Republican Party is, and it may seem that after 22 days without a speaker for no reason. But now you listen to Democrats. They're at each other's throats. Listen to Rashida Tlaib, Cut 26.
5: Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. We will remember in 2024.
1: Wow. What about Jamal Bowman, cut 29?
6: Indiscriminately bombing innocent civilians, 10,000 dead, 4,000 children any conflict that leads to the death of one child tells us that we need to take a different approach. And so this approach right now is killing tens of thousands of civilians, injuring tens of thousands
12: more, and it's not the approach we need to take. And finally, at the end of this, not even at the end, right now, we need to be pursuing a diplomatic approach it's so not just ending this conflict, but finally developing and building and creating a Palestinian state.
1: Right? Did you ever, did you ever hear anybody so clueless in so many different ways? Let's go diplomacy. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure Hamas will sit down and let's talk diplomacy. Does he even talk about how this happened? And by the way, yeah, well, I bring it up politically. Her, this his party president was the one who went all in for Israel. But your thoughts, Josh?
10: Yeah, well, first of all, both of those Democrats are facing the prospect of of serious primary challenges from within the Democratic Party because they are so extreme, so Tlaib especially. Uh, She basically, in that video you played, Brian, she was endorsing this exterminationist slogan, from the river to the sea, (laughs) calling on Israel to be wiped off the map. That's what Hamas says and she's promoting that in in her video on her on her social media feed and has not taken it down and you know even even on our political on the political front she's also calling her the president, or president of her own party, President Biden, uh, a supporter of genocide. I mean, this is talk about like a civil war within the Democratic Party. Maybe th- these don't these, these folks don't represent uh, the majority of the party, but these are the loudest voices um, these days on, on, the, on the Democratic Party side among progressives. And the fact that you're so, you know, you know, I mean, say what you will about Donald Trump. Whenever he held the line, most Republicans, you know, followed his lead, and, and he, he was able to kind of hold the party in line for better or for worse when he was president. Joe Biden. Biden right now is so weak that he has one of his backbenchers and Rashida Talib accusing him of genocide and the White House isn't even saying a word uh, in response they're, they're taking it and that's going to be a big problem because he again he's he's taking it from the far left but he's also it, the weakness that he's showing and the inability to stand up against some of the more extreme members of his own party shows that he's going to lose some ground in, in the moderate middle as well
1: so David Axelrod writes this. It, it, he uh, puts this out on, on Twitter. It's very late to change horses. A lot will happen in the next year that no one can predict. And Biden's team says his resolve to run is firm. He defied con- conventional wisdom before, but this will send tremors of doubt through the party. Not bedwetting, but legitimate concern. Only Joe Biden can make this decision. If he continues to run, he'll be the nominee. What he needs to decide is whether that is wise whether that's wise for his best interest or the country's. Now, Josh, it's not just a guy ranting, you know, having a few beers and maybe putting something on Twitter he regrets. That seems to be a well thought out series of statements, a message directly to the president. Am I overstepping? Am I overstating it?
10: No, look, David Axelrod is saying publicly what a lot of Democrats worry about privately, which is that um, there was one point in time where it looked like Biden, for all of his flaws, for all for the, you know, the age issue, it was still a better choice than what the alternatives might might suggest. One of the things that we learned in the New York Times poll, it's a pretty, pretty stunning statistic, is that a generic Democrat would lead Donald Trump by eight points, but Biden is losing to Trump by, 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 five, by I believe five points, right? So you have this, I mean, remarkable swing it, it, where it's you – know, I think the Democratic Party, if they nominated a more – uh, you know, rank and file governor, you know, someone who who was sort of more of a generic figure, Gretchen Whitmer, Gavin Newsom, you, you name the, the the list of pros- prospective candidates. Even Kamala Harris, who has a lot of baggage, did a little bit better than Joe Biden in the, in the matchup against Trump. But you know, a, a generic Democrat, and, and you're not going to have a generic Democrat, but a Democrat that doesn't have the baggage from the Biden administration would actually do quite well right now against Trump. So there's like there are people that want. I think a lot of those younger voters, like African American voters, they do want to vote Democrat. They Usually vote Democrat, but they're unwilling to right now at least support Biden, and that's a, just a, a big problem. And that, that's what's that that's what's affecting David Axelrod's analysis. Like I've been thinking for a while is that Biden is still a better choice than having to go through a primary, having to go through yeah. uh, all all the all the craziness of, of an open open race. But at this point, Biden may look like the worst candidate that they could go 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 nominate because um, both. Of his record, you know, both of his job approval ratings, but also because so many voters think he's not able to, to serve for, for for another four years, given his age. the, Josh, age Josh, the only thing the only thing, only gonna get worse.
1: the only thing I would say is if you if you got a young guy like Gavin Newsom, who would continue with the Biden policies, that has Ukraine in uh, tumult, has the Middle East in flames showing a foreign policy that doesn't answer back to Iran or tries to get Iran in the family of nations uh, that goes out and lets the borders stay wide open. I don't care how much gel they wear and how white their teeth are. I think the American people are at a breaking point.
10: Yeah, look, Gavin Newsom has his, has his own baggage in California, but I think if you tested someone like Gavin Newsom against Trump, Newsom would do do better than Biden. He's and he's also able to drive a message. He's able to go on TV, communicate effectively for the Democratic Party's message. And part of the problem is Biden's age, his advanced age, has limited his, his effectiveness at the, using the bully pulpit to, to drive home a message to get get campaigns to to, to, to feature in campaign ads. Uh, you know, he's just not able to to really make. The kind of argument, effectively, that a younger, uh, more vibrant candidate or president would be able to do, and that's just a that that's the play that's the playbook that 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 that, that Democrats are working with. They, things are not going to get better. Biden is not going to be getting younger in the next year. They they see all these vulnerabilities that are uh, obvious to anyone paying attention to the polls, it's not just the Times polls, almost every poll we've seen in the last few months. And now you know they, they don't really have a lot of good options because we're getting later and later in the process. You've got Dean Phillips uh, challenging Biden from sort of the middle, from, from sort of the the, the kind of uh, the issue about age and, and sort of needing need new leadership. But um, you know that 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 he's no one thinks he's going to be the nominee. So the question is, you know, when does the Democratic Party start more openly acknowledging? that these vulnerabilities are real and they could actually lose a winnable election because they're going with a candidate who is going to be 82 when, when he starts running, when, when we're in the election. Year.
1: I think you're right. And the president today is going to be speaking about trains and uh, binomics at 1.15 in the afternoon. Who the hell is going to be paying attention to binomics after spending the summer trying to tell everyone it's a great word? I thought they were giving up on that.
10: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago at Axios about, sort of the the head-scratching uh, among Democratic professionals on why they were trying to own an economy that most Americans did not think is going in the right direction, or at least it's not working for them. I mean, there's a lot of negativity on the economy, even though there have – and I understand that there have been a lot of encouraging macroeconomic indicators, but people aren't feeling it. Inflation is still way too high. People are paying more for basic goods like gas and groceries, and the data doesn't lie. You can't Tell tell people like they're, they're, things are good economically when they're feeling the pinch in the pocketbook the pinch in their pocketbooks. So um, yeah, I mean it was sort of a questionable political strategy to own the economy at a time when everyone is sort of saying things aren't working for them, uh, and and and. and but, 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 Brian, the problems are, are deeper than that. The problem, the problem is that Biden can't even get his message out effectively. Like, who's going to be covering this speech? Is he going to be, you know, unleashing a soundbite that's going to be featured in a future campaign ad? Like, how, how are they able to leverage the, the power of the presidency into getting that message out there? And they haven't shown that they've been very capable of doing that.
1: Think about this. They say that Joe Biden was going to be a one-termer, but he feels he's the only one who can beat Trump. So that was the last I heard about that. And then you think right away, if you have a vibrant, promising vice president, that then you'll be okay because you'll tell everybody, look, if something should happen, I got the next generation, and he or she is on the ticket. I don't know anybody that thinks that the next generation Democrat is Kamala Harris.
10: Well, the interesting thing about the New York Times poll when it tested Kamala Harris, and she was losing by three points. To Donald Trump Biden was losing by four or five points, but it was interesting that they found that Harris does better with the more progressive side of the party. She actually wins back some of the younger voters, some of the left wing voters, but she also loses some of the more moderate and older voters <laughs> so you know the 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 problem is that you know the the Democratic Party is a coalition that contains You know some of the more rank and file, more moderate folks that we're we're kind of used to as as Democrats, who you know Biden sort of reflects when he won the presidency in 2020. But you also have this ascendant left wing, uh, where you know they're, they're, they're they're they're. You know, on Israel, they're taking a very, very anti-Israel position on 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 woke issues. They really are asserting themselves, and those are issues that are not popular politically. But they're forcing the Democratic Mm -hmm. Party to get pushed to the left, and it it forces the party to really have a hard time figuring out how to kind of put Humpy Dumpy back together again. Because you need to win over the swing voters, the moderates, to have any chance of winning a general election. But you also need younger voters and progressive voters to turn out and Mm -hmm. show up and vote for you. And there's a real worry that you know the. The, the left wing of the Democratic Party is so far out there that there's no way that they can be accommodated in a larger Democratic Party coalition. And, and it's become a big headache on a number of issues, and most recently about you know the conflict between Israel and, and Hamas.
1: You're right. Uh, uh, Josh Krasher, thanks so much, Josh. Exciting times. Thanks for breaking it down for us. Thanks, Brian. When we get back, uh, I'm going to take your calls, one 866 408 Read your emails, uh, Briankilmead.com And that's where you can find me in Redbacks, New Jersey. This Thursday, we got a show like no other, a book with every seat, and six months free from Fox Nation production. Not bad.
0: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmead. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: You listen to Tony Blinken speak. Basically what he does is he lists a laundry list of things he wants. He wants the Israelis to get what they want. He wants the Palestinians to get what they want. He wants the region to not escalate. He wants there to be a two-state solution. He wants there to be a plan for the day after. Well, it's great to want things. I want to be crazy. A, a wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. But it doesn't mean it's going to happen unless I have an actual plan to do it. And what we see here is just sort of the Biden administration focusing on the messaging instead of following, actually solving the problem. And that's not good for the hostages or for the Israelis or for the Palestinians, for that matter.
1: So I was filling in for Jesse 8 o'clock on Saturday, on Friday, and we had uh, Josh Rogan lead off on The Washington Post. He's always on the radio, used to be a CNN contributor, but he just calls as he sees. He's got unbelievable contacts and context for most of his, the Far East, China and Japan. He lived there for a while. But now, when he looks at what's going on in the Middle East and Ukraine, he understands how it's all connected, and just can't believe how all over the place this administration is. You know, word is behind the scenes they're telling, saying, "You have to have to pause." In front of the camera, they're saying a totally different story. The Israelis are totally blowing them off, and then Egypt and Jordan says, "Why don't you get control of Israel?" And he says, "I want a two-state solution." But Mahmoud Abbas is no no partner. Okay. We don't want to fight with Iran, and they better stop rocketing our bases. Okay, what are you doing about it? Any of it. Where do you stand? That's his exasperation. Byron Donald's next.
0: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
5: I think it is important to recognize that we have a very divided country. As you well know, you have said that polls really don't reflect where people are. I agree with you. But I will tell you, this is the first time, Jen, that I have felt like the 2024 election is in great trouble for the president and for our democratic control, which is essential to moving forward, because these young people Muslim Americans, Arab Americans, but also young people see this conflict as a moral conflict yeah. and a yeah. moral crisis. And they they are not going to be brought back to the table easily with, um, you know, if we do not address this.
1: That is uh, Congresswoman Jaya Powell, who's speaking for young people uh, to Um uh, This is like Powell, wasn't it? Uh Tlaib. OK, she is not uh, she is out of her mind and she's taking on. President of the United States, who, according to reports, is a Democrat. And they're worried about young people. Young people didn't even know, uh, weren't even thinking about Palestinians until after the Palestinians, led by Hamas, massacred the uh, Israeli settlers, 790 of which were civilians, some of which were elderly, and they took 244 hostages. Congressman Byron Donalds. uh, Congressman, they're not talking about the the Republicans being divided. They're talking about Democrats being divided, and aptly so. Can you try to characterize how how divided that caucus is right now?
12: Uh, Well, first, it's good to be with you, Brian. I'll tell you, we know they're very divided because typically uh, the Democrats just vote in lockstep um, and it's very hard to break them. But when Speaker Johnson put up an Israeli uh, funding package, that also used IRS dollars to fund the, uh, what is needed for Israel. Uh, you had 12 Democrats broke ranks with their party to vote for that package. Because for them, they understand that helping our ally Israel is the thing that matters more than anything else. It's significantly more important than giving new, the IRS new money to, to hire agents uh, to go after the middle class of our country. And so they decided to to break ranks with their party and, and to take our side. And I think in the, the real undercurrent is this wave of anti-Semitism in the Democrat Party, um, and, and it is very clear. Um, there are a lot of internal conflicts in their party right now, and, but you know, our job is not to worry about party politics. Our job is to support Israel, make sure they have everything that they need, and in what is going on in our country, it needs to be very clear that, that our nation <clears throat> has to be supportive of our ally. Um, and that needs to be the message coming from the White House continuously right. and from both parties in Congress.
1: So you know, the thing is, too, they've got to be able to pursue this to the end. Here's Michael Herzog. They're trying to avoid all civilian casualties, but they have to wipe out Hamas. Cut three.
5: We are making every effort to distinguish between terrorists and civilian population. We call on civilian population to move to the south out of harm's way and Hamas is doing everything they can to keep them in harm's way, most of the population moved to the south. And as we speak, and we are pressuring, pressing Hamas in the north, we are calling people uh, to move out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. I would be very careful, very careful, about judging those numbers, because ni- neither you nor I know... How yeah. many of them are armed terrorists and how many of them are civilians? I don't know and you don't know.
1: Israeli ambassador to the U.S. And that's what the challenges he's getting from the American press, as if they're the bad guys. Why, how could they be losing a PR war to a group of people that target civilians as opposed to the ones that call it collateral damage because they're aiming for the terrorists? How are they losing that messaging
12: war? Because the American press is very liberal, and they're this, that's something that we all know. Um, let's call it exactly what it is. They have a preferred worldview, which is really aligned uh, with this White House and some of the radicals in this White House. I mean, just turn on some of the channels. But what Herzog is saying is 100 percent correct. First of all, this whole conflict is because of Hamas and the tragedy they unleashed on Israel on October 7th. On October 7th. But also, let's be also clear on this one. Hamas embeds themselves amongst civilians, which is a violation of the rules of war. They put some of their of uh, their uh, their 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 arsenal, their their batteries. Uh, they put that within civilian populations, a violation of the rules of war. And then they want to then they want to go to the world and say, Oh, we want a ceasefire. We want a ceasefire. You're not allowed to hide behind civilians. You're not allowed to hide behind women and children. And so it puts Israel in a, a tremendously difficult spot because um, Hamas must be obliterated, so they're going to do what they need to do. We're going to support them in everything that they need to do. But the but the press here in America needs to understand that the actions of Hamas are detestable, and you can't go down this line of wanting a ceasefire when they purposefully create human shields with the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip so that they can remain in power and then bring more terror in the future. We got away from this way of waging war um, in the past, and they want to bring it back. And so they're the, the, the true uh, consequence of that is that there consequences that there are civilian casualties, but that is because of Hamas. Nobody else.
1: So the, there's a been 32 attacks on our guys since October and women since October 7th, and yet the president's answered whack one time but on a Syrian depot and keeps saying we do not want war with Iran, Congressman. Nobody wants a world war, but isn't the best way to avoid that to show massive strength? How many unanswered calls are we going to tolerate?
12: Well, here's the first thing: Who even talks like this publicly? What our enemies need to understand is, you have to fear us. So, if one of if our men and women are attacked, we need to respond in kind. Period. Full stop. If anybody needs to be talking about how they don't want war, let that be the Iranians. Let that be the the mullahs over there. It shouldn't be our stance. Listen, I believe in peace through strength. That has been the basis of American foreign policy for decades. And it has worked. It's led to a safer world. But when you have a president who leads with appeasement, which is frankly not leading at all, it only emboldens our adversaries. And if you don't take decisive action when our men and women are targeted, it's only going to invite more bloodshed in the future. This stuff is not that hard if you study history and you look at conflicts over the course of time. But we have a radical president. Mm-hmm. We have radical staff surrounding this president who have a view of the world that is not reality. And it's leading to the deaths of people.
1: So when, when you we talk to you, you live in politics. I'm, I'm in and out of it with the news, and everybody who looks at Joe Biden sees how he struggles with the with the spoken word, and sees his stance on things, and sees his one word answers which defy the stated policy, and they say Barack Obama's running this place. And then we get word for the last few months, six months, Barack Obama's been heading up the AI policy board, working with the White House and the higher ups in the Biden administration on an AI policy. At the same time. They told the vice president she was doing it, and she went to the U.K. with their, their white paper on this. So what's going on? And if you want to ask a former president to help, since when is that a secret? George W. Bush asked Bill Clinton and his dad to help out all the time. Past presidents always, Jimmy Carter, constantly asked to help out. Richard Nixon all the time. What's with the secrecy?
12: Well, a couple of things. One, we, we know Joe Biden's not in charge. Let's just be very honest about this. The man is not. You know, he's not what he used to be three years ago. Everybody knows this, including including our adversaries. He's not in charge. You have the Obama BNC team that are basically running this White House. Uh, the fact that they are kind of hiding the former president with respect to his role speaks volumes because it kind of lends credence to what a lot of people have been believing for a long time, that Obama is really running this White House through the back door. Look, that being said, the key thing is – There is no leadership out of this White House. There's no leadership from Kamala Harris. There's no leadership from Joe Biden. And so that's how you have a situation where we have basically had to evacuate six embassies in three years overseas. This is how you get a situation where we leave $85 billion in military equipment. It's how you get a situation where our southern border is completely exposed, if so much so that even now Democrat mayors are upset about it. And this is how you have a situation where our economy is a mess and inflation is still mm-hmm. too high. There is no leadership. And so there's time for a change. And, and for the people who say, oh, they're going to get rid of Joe Biden and put Somebody else on the ballot. Let me be very clear: replace the Democrat won't matter. The policies are the same. It's a disaster for America, not just here but also abroad.
1: Well, Congressman Byron Donalds, our guest, Congressman. a Couple of things. You know, with, uh, with Speaker Johnson, you guys passed says fourteen billion out of IRS. The Senate's going to say no, one hundred and ten billion, and we're not going to take anything from the IRS. You, wa- I know what you want. Can you tell us what we're going to get?
12: I think it is shameful that the United States Senate cannot support our greatest ally in the region because they want to pay for new IRS agents. That is shameful, and it's disgraceful. We are $33 trillion in debt. We're running a $2 trillion deficit. You just can't keep borrowing money, even in emergency situations. You got to pay for this stuff. And so, yeah, we are going to change the way Washington works. And so for the senators to say it's dead on arrival because you're saying that the real pri- Priority for our country is supporting Israel, not IRS agents who are going after the middle class in our country, that's disgraceful. They should be ashamed of themselves. The House's position, I'm not speaking for, for Speaker's Johnson in this one, I'm going to speak for myself. Mm-hmm. If I have anything to do about it, the House position will not change. We are going to fund Israel. We are going to do it with this money for the IRS agents, which, frankly, we don't need, Brian, because we're raising record revenue into the federal government treasury right now. So we don't need new agents. We need to support our our ally right. in Israel. And I'll have that battle with anybody on the Senate. Send Chuck Schumer. Send Mitch McConnell. The answer will be the same.
1: So what if, uh, what if they ask for a pledge to take Ukraine and border separately after? Would you guys give
12: that? I'm not pledging anything with the Senate. First of all, the Senate hasn't done any work. What work has the Senate done in the last 10 months? Nothing. When we were in the middle of looking for a Speaker of the House, did the Senate pass appropriation bills? No, they did not. Did the Senate pass any, any, any bills associated with a supplemental? No, they did not. The only game the Senate is playing mm-hmm. is basically trying to wait out the House so they can jam us with fiscally irresponsible measures, which is the modus operandi of the United States Senate. I'm not interested in that. Game anymore. Which is crazy because they Israel. They need to do that first.
1: Because it's crazy because the Republicans have the most favorable map in 20 years uh, to take back the Senate. So why wouldn't they make the most of their last few months? Congressman, a couple of things. How disappointed, if at all, were you that you did not get the votes to be Speaker?
12: Uh. It wasn't about disappointment. It, it really wasn't. It was about making sure that we could get back to work. I'm really proud and happy that Mike Johnson is our speaker. I've got a chance to work with Mike. He is a man of great character. At that, By that point, after we had been through, obviously, yeah. Kevin McCarthy, Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, and Tom Emmer, at that <laughs> point it was like, listen, Mike, if it's you, great. If it's me, great, but we got to get back to work. So yeah. I'm very happy for, for him. It's, like, it's not an issue for me. I just want to make sure that we're doing everything possible to get this country on track and if there's going to be leadership anywhere in washington dc it has to come from house republicans because the senate has done nothing and we already have talked about the white house
1: so for you personally the, the governor's mansion is going to open up in florida the, the governor yeah. Santa is term limited out and i know you're one of the favorites with donald trump it looks like he's going to get the nomination if things are the way right now what would interest
12: you more What do you mean? Like Uh, Being the running mate
1: of the president or running for governor?
12: Man, honestly, I don't know. I'm just telling you, Brian, the way I've always done politics is I don't plan anything. I just do my job. Um, So I have no control over the vice presidency. That's um, that's up to the president. I mean, look, if he said, Byron, you know, would you be on the ticket with me? That's a great honor. You know, of course, you say yes to that, uh, because it's about saving the country. And if he feels that strongly that you can help in that regard, then you step up and do that job. And if people back in Florida decide that they want me to be their governor, and a lot of people have talked to me about it. I'm not trying to be coy with you. They've talked to me about it throughout the state. Then that's something you definitely look at. But right now, I'm on Capitol Hill. We're yep. trying to get the government funded appropriately. I'll deal with that one at a time.
1: Goes. And when do you think, if you, for a governor's mansion, how much time do you need to get, get a team going and ramped up? Do you know? Uh, probably about 18 months. Okay. Something like that. So you got a few months. We'll see what it's going to yeah, be. I, mean, look,
12: yeah. I think about everything, but that doesn't mean like you, you have definitive plans. I learned a long time ago, you can't plan politics. Just do your job. And, you know, if things work out in your favor, great. And if they don't, well, then you just go back to normal life mm-hmm. and, you know, make money and then that's it. And you, you enjoy the ride as it lasted and you go back to being a private citizen and let somebody else take their shot.
1: And then make some real money in private finance, which you were doing before you got into this.
12: Oh, yeah, I'm losing money being in Congress. I just want to let <laughs> the American people know. But it's cool. I mean, I'm here in a time period because I care about the country and I just want to make sure that we're doing the right things for my kids, uh, for everybody's children out there. And, you know, a world without a dominant America is a very sad world. And so I'm here to make sure that that we don't see that come to fruition.
1: Okay, I don't want to be sad, Congressman. So make sure we uh, make sure we continue to lead. Congressman Byron Donalds, thanks so much.
12: Anytime. Thanks,
1: Brian. You got Brian. it. 1-866-408-7669. Back to wrap things up and wrap up this hour. Brian Kilmeade Show.
0: It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
1: As the leader of the free world, TR wasted a little time aligning himself with this fellow self-made man.
3: He was made the special advisor to the president on Negro affairs, and he helped the president and other states to create other HBCUs around the country. They were all the product of this kind of help or attention that Bukati drew to the
2: president.
1: In addition to helping raise funds for other HBCUs, such as Grambling State University, Washington advised Roosevelt on some groundbreaking federal appointments. This included Minnie Cox, the first African-American female postmaster. This faced fierce opposition from critics. But Teddy refused to kneel to their bigotry. Just a little of the special that's now on Fox Nation, Teddy and Booker T, uh, two American icons a track to racial equality. You see Kaepernick take a knee. You see the women's national team say America's uh, racist uh, and say these horrible things. It's just such an insult to the people who came before us. No one doubts it was Jim Crow. No one doubts there were lynchings for terrible reasons. No one's out there with separate but equal water fountains, bus, uh, where you go on the bus. We, go, we know all that. What about the people that fought through it and did it while living in the South as African-Americans and formed Tuskegee University? And then Teddy Roosevelt serves on that board and Booker T serves as an advisor to the president. What an example that was for generations of Americans, black and white people working together at a time in which it wasn't happening around the world or in this country. And that's what I tried to bring out. The book comes out tomorrow. I think you really enjoy the special, especially if you're in school and want to get context. Anything time, anything racist pops up, you hear Joe Biden come out and say it's Jim Crow 2.0. If you know this story, you are so insulted by that statement on joy when it comes to the Georgia Voters Right Reform Act or whatever they decide to call it. It's so divorced from reality. And if somebody as old as Joe Biden knows the difference, you would think it would if someone put that in a script, you go, like, excuse me. I can't read that speech. It's not Jim Crow 2.0. I just agree. I just don't think you should be able to vote on Sunday or whatever it was at times. But um, I hope you guys like it. It's on Amazon. Also, on the ninth Thursday, um, Red Redback, New Jersey, I'm going to have a chance to go on stage, talk about all these books in a motivational, patriotic way, also be in Pittsburgh, also be in um, in Michigan. It's all on BrianKilmead.com. It's going to be in Vero Beach, going to be at the Villages. And on Friday, WOKV listeners will be able to see me on stage with Marque and Rich Jones, uh, talking about everything in the news uh, over in uh, over in Jacksonville. All right, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here, Brian Kilmeade show, uh, and don't forget uh, to continue uh, to write me, BrianKilmeade.com. It just says comments. I'll be monitoring.